Satan is a powerful enemy, and we must be wary of his tricks. Life is full of traps that Satan has set for God's people. But we have a means to fight him and a way to make him fear us. It might seem like Satan doesn't fear anything, yet the biggest threat to him is the kind of Christian who knows the scriptures, trusts God above all else, and has an intimate relationship with God. When we learn to do these things, we equip ourselves with the armor we need to battle against the devil. In Matthew 4, Jesus spent time in the wilderness and was approached by the devil. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was weak, hungry, and vulnerable. Satan knew this, and he tempted Jesus by saying, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Of course, Jesus was indeed the Son of God, and he could have done as Satan suggested, but he refused to give in to temptation. Instead, he responded, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus did not succumb to the temptation of hunger, but maintained his fast by relying on his Father to give him strength. Next, the devil took Jesus to the temple's highest point and told him to jump down. He quoted scripture saying, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan was being especially tricky by trying to use the word of the Lord against Jesus. We often forget that Satan is familiar with the scriptures too. He may try to misinterpret or misuse the scriptures as he did here with Jesus. But Jesus responded, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus knew the scriptures even better than Satan did, and he was not about to be tricked by Satan's misuse of them. He demonstrated this again when Satan told Jesus that he would give him all the kingdoms of the world if he would only bow down to him. Jesus replied, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus' intimate knowledge of the scriptures saved him from giving in to temptation. Satan tried to convince him that he wouldn't be doing anything wrong, but Jesus knew the scriptures well enough to recognize that Satan was trying to tempt him into sin. This is why it is so important for us to know the scriptures. We must be able to recognize temptation when it comes our way so that we can fight against it. Satan will try to convince us that he knows better like he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But as they found out, only God knows best. While Adam and Eve ignored what God told them regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jesus held fast to God's word. It is only by being familiar with the scriptures and holding fast to God that we can stand any hope of avoiding temptation and becoming the type of Christian that Satan fears. When you are tempted to sin, remind yourself of what God's word says and ask God for the strength to resist. He will hear your prayer and give you what you need to resist temptation. But simply knowing the scriptures isn't enough. We must also trust in the Lord with our whole hearts and be willing to submit to him. Satan will try to tempt us away from God's will for our lives, but if we maintain our faith and hope in our Father, we can stay on the path that God has for us. Jesus didn't simply state the scriptures to Satan, he believed them and placed precedence on God's word rather than his own desires. God's word often conflicts with our desires. Colossians 3.2 tells us, Set your mind on things above 
not on earthly things. Because we are born in sin, we have a natural desire to live for ourselves and enjoy the temptations and entertainments of this world. We want to put ourselves first, but the Bible tells us to put God first and our neighbor after that. We are meant to live for the Lord and dedicate our time to Him and our neighbors here on earth. We must not live for ourselves, even though that is what we are tempted to do. Instead, we must set our minds on heavenly things. We must focus on God. This requires sacrifice on our part. We are called to go to church to worship the Lord on Sunday, which may mean missing out on a highly anticipated sports event. We must spend time with the Lord in prayer every day, which may mean that we have to cut our fun short so we can go home and have some private time with God. But this kind of sacrifice is nothing compared to the sacrifice God made for us. He sacrificed His only Son on the cross so that we could be saved and join our Father in heaven. The small sacrifices we make for God every day are nothing compared to that. God demonstrated that He loves us more than anything in the world. If we truly love Him back, we should be willing to sacrifice everything for Him. And if you are the type of Christian who will do anything for God, you will be a threat to Satan. Job is a great example of someone who trusted in the Lord above all else. His suffering is probably the most dramatic pain mentioned in the Bible, but he maintained his faith in the Lord. Satan was confident that Job would turn against God when he lost his family and his wealth, but he didn't. Even when Job was struck with a painful illness and everyone around him told him to renounce God, he refused to do so. He clung to the Lord through thick and thin. God used Job to prove to Satan that his people are loyal and true. Satan did his best, but he couldn't turn Job away from God. No matter what happens in our lives, we need to be like Job. Even when our lives are going terribly, we must hold on to God and trust that He will give us strength for whatever we may endure. While Satan may give you temporary pleasures on earth, only God can give you eternal pleasure in heaven. Satan delights in seeing us suffer, but God wants only the best for His people. When we suffer, He suffers too, and He looks forward to the end of our suffering just as much as we do. The Lord will always be with you in the good times and the bad times, and there is no greater threat to Satan than someone who clings to the Lord always. What exactly does it look like to cling to the Lord? Well, it means that you have an intimate relationship with Him. It means that you go to Him in times of trouble, and you go to Him when things are going well. David had one of the best relationships with God of anyone mentioned in the Bible. He trusted in the Lord when he faced the giant Goliath with nothing but a slingshot and a few stones, and God gave David the victory. But while God blessed David with fighting prowess, Saul grew jealous and began planning to have David killed. David was forced to flee his homeland, even though he did nothing wrong. He was anointed as the future king of Israel, but he spent years hiding in caves to avoid Saul. And yet, he clung to the Lord during all of it. He wrote psalms of praise after victories and after defeats. He had multiple chances to kill Saul, but he never took them because he knew it was not the Lord's will for him to take another man's life. He was willing to keep running for his life to fulfill the Lord's will. 
He patiently waited for Saul to die the death that God planned for him. And only then was David made king of Israel. Even in the midst of the wealth and power that he acquired, David remained faithful to the Lord. He made some mistakes, such as his relationship with Bathsheba, but he always came back to God. He praised the Lord through thick and thin, and he turned to God in times of trouble. He recognized that God was with him always, and he cultivated his relationship with him through prayer and worship. He dedicated his life to the Lord and let him lead him wherever it was God's will for him to go, even when that was a seemingly impossible battle. Can you say the same, my friends? When you face trials, do you turn to the Lord? Do you trust him to do the right thing and guide you on the right path? Or do you turn away and walk on the path you have made for yourself? Do you allow temptation to overwhelm you and turn to Satan instead of God? Even though Judas had a personal relationship with Jesus, he turned to temptation and betrayed his friends for a few coins. Judas focused on the earthly wealth he received in exchange for Jesus' life, instead of the heavenly reward he would have received for remaining loyal to the Lord. And those coins didn't provide Judas with happiness. Despite his newfound wealth, he killed himself because he felt so guilty for what he had done. All he had to do was turn back to the Lord and ask for forgiveness, but he was too afraid to do so. Friends, if you make a mistake and turn away from the Lord, remember that you can turn back to Him, and you can build your relationship so that it will be stronger than ever. If you familiarize yourself with the Scriptures, you will be able to spot temptation and avoid it. If you trust in the Lord with your whole heart and dedicate your life to Him, you won't need to fear Satan and his nasty tricks. Satan may seem powerful, but God has already defeated him. If you follow in the footsteps of Job, David, and especially Jesus, you will remain on the right track. Satan may try to tempt you away, but God will give you the strength you need to look away and focus on him instead. At the end of the day, remember that God loves you more than you will ever know, while Satan loves to see you suffer. Satan wants to see you in hell but God wants to welcome you to heaven. Which one will you choose? Have you ever felt stuck? It is a terrible feeling. Making no progress in one or more areas of life feels awful. You may not be moving backward, but you are also not moving forward. You are in the same position Monday to Sunday, January to December, and year to year. When we make plans, we give them timelines. Next month, next year, I will do this and that. As we have experienced, this does not always happen. More often than not, we find ourselves stuck in the waiting area, on hold, feeling out of control, sad, angry, impatient, or frustrated that God is making us wait. Patience does not come naturally for most of us. We are not thrilled when made to wait. Do you know seasons of waiting can be a great blessing? Many people view waiting as God saying no. We think that if God does not answer our prayers immediately, He does not want to grant us our requests. We lose hope and begin to despair. Sometimes we even conclude that God has forgotten about us. That is not true. God will not and can never forget about us. He is perfecting what concerns us. God sees what we cannot see, far ahead than we can. If he wants you to wait, 
He is divinely arranging things and situations in your favor. There may be lessons he wants you to learn before he can release the blessing. Maybe answering you in your timing instead of his would cause you more harm than good. He is protecting you because he loves you. You cannot see the hidden danger, but he can. Afraid of being left behind, we often do not open ourselves to these possibilities. We compare ourselves to others. It looks like our friends, family, and colleagues are progressing in life while we are in the same spot. We feel defeated because we are not moving at everyone's pace. Interestingly, it always seems that everyone is ahead of you. This family bought a beautiful home while you are still renting, and your colleague a car while you use public transport. Maybe your friend, who was not even interested in marriage, just got engaged while there is no hint of romance on your horizon. You may begin to wonder, has God forgotten me? Not at all. God in Isaiah 49, 15-16 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are ever before me. God can never forget you. He says he has engraved your name on the palms of his hands. That is how much God loves you. He knows the tiniest details of your life. God knows all your issues and struggles. As I said earlier, sometimes our plans do not materialize because God is protecting us. When he makes us sit in the waiting area, he is busy working behind the scenes to bring you the best of the best. The blessing God has in store for you surpasses all your imagination. That is why he is making you wait. When I think about biblical waiting, I think of people like Hannah. It must not have been easy for her to wait for all those years to have a son. But when she finally did get him, he was not an ordinary son. Samuel was chosen by God from birth. He was anointed at a young age to serve God in the temple and become one of the greatest prophets of Israel. Look at Elizabeth and Zechariah. They had waited for a child so long that they were past the childbearing age when Elizabeth conceived. And when she delivered John the Baptist, he was not an ordinary baby. He was the one who prepared the way for the Messiah. When your blessing is delayed, it had not been denied. God is making you ready for it. He is setting everything in place. He is divinely aligning the right people in your life to help you birth and nurture what God has in store for you. God wants you to have the spiritual capacity and emotional maturity to handle it. Dear listener, this is the beauty of a waiting period, the reward of weeks, months, or years of waiting that you are going through. While we are so focused and invested in the current time, God sees the future. He sees the bigger picture hidden from us. The Bible says we may make plans, but the Lord directs our steps. He guides us from a higher place of wisdom and a bigger perspective. Jeremiah 29:11 says, His plans for us are good. These plans are specifically designed and created for each of us. They may be different, but serve to fulfill His great purpose. Your purpose may vary from your friends, and that's why your life is different from theirs. Comparison is, therefore, unnecessary. We are all pieces in a bigger game, each of us playing our part to bring glory to His name in our unique ways. Comparison is what makes us feel like we are missing out, comparing ourselves to our age mates, colleagues, or friends, and wanting to be like them 
indicates that we have not understood that we have different kingdom roles. Just as in a chess game, pawns and queens use differing moves to protect the king, yet all are important pieces on a chessboard. God has assigned roles to each of us according to the abilities and strengths he gave us. When others are making progress and we seem stuck, I pray we remember that there is always a divine reason for the season. Your waiting is not in vain. It is not meaningless, nor is it a waste of your time. It is part of God's great and magnificent plan that will work out for our good in due season. It is not unusual for us to feel that we are out of options and that there is nothing we can do when we are in God's waiting room. When our prayers are unanswered, our plans are not working out and life seems on hold, we still have choices. We can feel hopeless, impatient and angry with God, people and everything. We can wish we were like people who are progressing or we can look forward in hope. Do you know you can still praise and thank God while you were in the waiting room? Thank him for what you have prayed for even before the answer arrives. Thank him for your breakthrough before it happens you can start getting ready for your blessing. The word promises that whatever we ask of God by faith in Jesus' name, he will give us. If it is a job you have prayed for, start getting ready. Begin to get up early in the morning. Dress as though you are going to work. Anticipate what a work day would be like and get some things done around the house, the things you will not be able to do once you get the job. Start talking about what you anticipate. Proclaim the answer to your prayers. Do not be caught off guard when God starts to move in your life. It is a sign that you trust God. God wants to prepare us for what he has prepared for us. Waiting is not something we have to do to get what we want eventually. It is a period during which God molds us into how he wants us to be. It is a time when our character in Christ is built and our faith strengthened. Biblical waiting is not passively waiting for something to happen that will allow us to escape our troubles. It is not resignation from an unpleasant situation or a way to evade reality. Those who wait know their work is not in vain. The farmer can wait all summer for his harvest because he has done the work of sowing the seed and watering the plants. Those who wait on God can go about their assigned tasks confident that God will provide meaning to their waiting season and lives. They will harvest their reward in the right season if they do not give up. Waiting is the confident, disciplined, expectant, active, and sometimes painful clinging to God until we obtain our promises. And since we have this assurance that eventually it will be worthwhile, we can look at periods of waiting from a spiritually elevated place. We can be sure that no matter how long and hard the waiting season may be, we will never regret them. God will reward us and exceed our highest expectations. The Blessings of a Godly Life Being a new believer can be confusing, at least it was for me. I wanted to live a transformed life, but I had no idea how. Here I was recently saved and not sure what the next step was. At church, I would listen in awe to people's testimonies. I watch how they conducted themselves in such an effortless manner, yet godly. I could not help but wonder how they got there. How could they pray for hours without tiring when I faltered through my prayers? Would I ever be that way? 
Well, I made the first step receiving Christ in my life. Even though I did not understand everything, my life had begun to fall into place. Many of us want to change. We want to quit our current jobs and search for better paying ones. We want our families to change from chaotic to peaceful, to be what they should be. We want to change lifestyles because we know that we are headed in the wrong direction. We want to get rid of negative emotions like hatred, resentment, and the feelings of anger we have hang on to for so long. Wanting to change is one thing. Taking the necessary steps is quite another. That is where many falter. Real change begins with and is found only in God. We can have salary increases and move our homes or schools, but that only brings temporary changes. Only in God can we find lasting change. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You may have spent years trying to be a better person, family member, friend, or colleague, but you failed miserably. Even now, you may be struggling to bring up your children in a Christian manner. Maybe you need a breakthrough at work, in your finances, or in business. You could be like me, feeling lukewarm in your spiritual life. You want God's fire to shine brightly in you so that you have the confidence to step out and preach the good news with a boldness not seen before. Do you want to serve God in your world and influence unbelievers instead of them influencing you? Jesus is the answer. He says in John 14:6 that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Our generation likes to say, plug me. I am telling you, Jesus is the plug. He is the only one that can turn around your life. There is no other way. There is no other relief from the anxieties, fears, and worries you have in your life other than God. There is no cure for that depression or illness other than our Father. So how do we plug in? We surrender our old nature to God by choosing to live a godly life. When you do, everything in your life changes. Reading the Bible could have been boring and difficult, but with new eyes of understanding, the Bible becomes fascinating, enjoyable, and insightful. You may have struggled with sins like sexual immorality, drug addiction, jealousy, or gossip. The bondage is over. Once you receive salvation and renew your mind through meditating on God's Word, they will pass away. Before, you might have wondered how people could find church exciting, but when you surrender your life to Jesus, you begin to see things in a new light. God takes away the sinful desires of your flesh and replaces them with the righteous longings of His Spirit that are pleasing to Him and good for you. When He takes something from your life, He replaces it with a better thing. He will never make you give up anything if He does not have something more precious in store for you. This is how good our Father is. For our lives to change, we must have two things the desire to change, and the power to do so. Picture a paralyzed man in a wheelchair. He has the desire to walk, but due to his paralysis, he is unable to. He has the desire, but not the power. Without the power, he simply cannot walk. Applying this in our Christian context, if we have the desire and not the power, or the power and not the desire to change, our lives will remain the same as they were when we were not saved. 
Desire comes from within. It is what pushed you to go to church. You felt that something was missing in your life, and you were led to go to church. There you found fulfillment. The void in your life was filled. In my infant years of salvation, desire made me wonder when I would be able to give testimonies in the church. The desire for change has kept you watching this video until this very minute. It works from the inside out, prompting us to take steps and decisions in our daily activities. Power, on the other hand, comes from the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to make the changes we need and desire. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And in 2 Peter 1.3, this point is reiterated. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. The Holy Spirit not only gives us the desires for godly things, but also the power we need to fulfill these desires. In the Bible, God promises us a life of abundance and blessings. He has promised us divine provision, protection, blessings, favor, grace, and many other good things. Yet many Christians are still living miserable lives. While God's intention is for us to have life and have it in abundance, there are so many people that are yet to experience the beauty of being in the Lord. The reason is that while they have made Jesus their Savior, many have not allowed Him to be Lord over their lives. They have not yielded to the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction. That is the open secret. If we want to live a victorious life pleasing to God, we must abandon sin. We must reject being controlled by the desires of the flesh. Our priority should be to satisfy the needs of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. If we seek God's kingdom first, we can be sure that our lives will reflect His glory. Our lives will no longer be the same as those of ordinary men who have not received Christ. As we live godly lives, He gives us direction and purpose, which enables us to focus on heavenly things that have lasting value. Colossians 3.1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If we focus on God, we will be able to see the world as it is, a dark place in need of a Savior. We will see the multitudes of broken people who need the Savior. We will evangelize without fear or intimidation, because we know that great is our reward in heaven. Focusing on heavenly things helps us to see that the world is simply a stopover. Our eternity is with God. A heavenly view helps us endure hardships because we know that in the end, we will win. Jesus has already overcome the world. Living in a godly manner changes our perspective of the world, people around us, life, the way we live, and everything that pertains to the human experience. As we end the video, let me remind you that getting born again is the best decision anyone can ever make. If you desire change in any or all aspects of your life, the answer is God. He is the real deal the miracle worker, the way maker, Jehovah El Shaddai, the God of more than enough. There is no good that he will withhold from you. There is no situation that is too hard for him. Whatever difficulty you are going through, invite him into it. He will turn around the situation for you and do exceedingly and above your expectations. 
Begin to live according to His ways and see Him transform your life. Have you ever been in a situation or a state of mind where you wished you had another opportunity to start all over? Have you ever felt like replaying some scenarios so you could correct some of your mistakes and do things a bit differently? If your answer to these questions is yes, then I've got good news for you. You know what? In Christ, there is a new privilege for everyone who cares to start anew. There is a fresh start open to everyone who regrets some mistakes of the past and who feels like winding back the clock. Now is a fresh start, a time to rejoice, a time to start afresh, because it is your new beginning. The scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Therefore, starting afresh is possible. And it is only possible in Christ Jesus. A new beginning with God means a new life. A new covenant and a new purpose. Everyone has at one time or another wished they could rewind some moments of life in their past and make better choices. As humans, we cannot go back in time, but we can start all over again forgetting the past. Now let's look at some ways to experience a new beginning. First, there is a need to recognize your need for a new beginning and prepare for it. You may have sunk deep in sin all through the year. You may have disappointed God and yourself. Perhaps you've drifted from purpose. You may be afraid of going back to the secret place you've once abandoned. You may be afraid that your spiritual life may no longer be the same again. As much as you desire a new beginning with God, you need to recognize the need for that new beginning. Just desiring a new beginning is not enough. You have to point out or write down the reasons you need this new beginning. You can desire someone or something without necessarily needing them. Therefore, it gives you no extra push for you strive to get to that particular thing. Ask yourself a question. Do I need a new start or a new beginning with God? And why do I need it? If you can be able to answer these questions, then you are a step away from rejoicing in your new beginning. God searches the heart and he is interested in the state of your heart. Do you desire a new beginning because you think you deserve it? Or do you desire a new beginning because you miss your fellowship with God and you need back that intimacy? Imagine if the prodigal son had come back to the father because he felt he deserves everything good from his father and not with the repentant heart. Listen, there may not be a new beginning until you begin to prepare for it. God from his word has promised us a new beginning. He has promised us beauty for ashes, but we have a role to play in bringing it to pass. Never stop praying. Never stop studying God's word and never stop worshiping. Connect with God and watch him help you start again 
and replace your ashes with beauty. The recognition of the need for a new start is what helps you prepare for it. In addition to that, you need to know that a new beginning is possible no matter how far you've strayed from the track. Sometimes life and people throw us into the web of believing that a new beginning is impossible or that our past defines who we are. People make the mistake of pushing us into believing that we must learn to live with certain consequences for the rest of our lives. If only that were true, but it isn't. A new beginning is possible, and it is possible only in God. Remember from the Bible, old things are passed away. Old things are dead and buried if you can label them as old things and then embrace the newness in Christ. With God, a new beginning can be at any time. It doesn't have to be the beginning of a new year, the beginning of a new age in your life, or the beginning of anything new on earth. It has to do with when you are ready to embrace Him and let go of the old thing, the old mistakes, the old habits, and the old you in general. As much as you desire a new beginning, God desires the same thing for you. He is actually waiting in anticipation to see you walk a step toward Him in surrender, and He is ready to pour all of Himself into you again, disregarding your old and dirty past. He desires this new beginning and relationship as much as you do. God is always ready. Therefore, the only person hindering you in your new beginning is you. Quit listening to the lies from the pit of hell, the lies of the voice within you, and the lies from the world. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. God is still in the business of knocking on the hearts of men and waiting for those who will hear His voice and open up. Why not open up to Him today? A new beginning is only possible in Christ Jesus, not outside of Him. Sometimes we look for help elsewhere when we have our ultimate helper in Christ Jesus. The problem sometimes is not in our past mistakes, but in the deceit we entangle ourselves in that we can source for help in various places. As a Christian, no matter how far you go to seek help in starting afresh, you cannot be satisfied until you have traced yourself back to your root, Jesus. It can be very discouraging to always return to God every time you've strayed. It feels like you're disturbing Him or that He's tired of you. But the truth is, God is never tired of you. He knows that He is your only source of dependence, and He is always waiting with arms wide open. Do not run to the world for help. Do not seek a new beginning outside of Christ. Do not believe the world's alternative for God. Relocating to a new location won't fill the void. Changing all your contacts and cutting off from old friends will only aggravate your height of loneliness. A new relationship, a new partner, or a new job 
will only make you feel better temporarily. A new beginning of peace and joy can only be gotten in Christ Jesus. He alone knows you from your mother's womb and knows your future. Therefore, he knows how best to align you into that new beginning in life that you deserve. Anything outside of Christ will definitely be outside his purpose and will for your lives. Since Jesus Christ is the only name you know and trust, therefore you should trust him to help you start afresh regardless of the past. He's not a mere friend. Therefore, trust your secrets and fears are safe with him and he will help you start again. Lastly, master the act of forgiveness and let go of unforgiveness. Forgiveness means letting go and unforgiveness means holding on to grudges. Unforgiveness has cost people more than they ever thought it would. It has its way of dragging one down to a place of hurt, agony, pain, hatred, envy and bitterness. It keeps giving you reasons to remain there in the place of hurt. Oftentimes, you don't realize how deeply it has consumed and destroyed you until it finally leaves you in a state of regret. To start anew, you must forgive. Forgive that friend, spouse, relation, and even the church member that spoke wrongly against you. Likewise, forgive yourself. You need to stop being too harsh on yourself. Forgiveness opens you up for a new beginning. It lightens up your heart of every heavy burden, getting you ready to receive something new. Remember, you can't hold something in your palms and receive with the same palm. Until you can come to terms with letting go of past hurts and those who hurt you, you are far from starting afresh. God is ready to forgive you as much as you forgive others. No matter the hurt, let go. Even if you've been accused wrongly, let go and let God be the judge. Leave him to avenge your cause. And you will be amazed at how well he can restore your wasted years. Stop hating yourself to think that you are the cause of all your misfortunes in life or the cause of other people's misfortunes in life. Learn to let go and heal. God is desperately waiting to draw you out of the well of self-pity and unforgiveness and give you a new life. Are you broken and shattered? He is more than willing to remold you into a beautiful masterpiece. He's willing to give you a new direction and purpose. In this new season of your life, you will rejoice. Trust God to help you through your healing process of hurt and keep believing that it is possible. The scripture speaking in Isaiah 43, 18 through 19 says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is reminding you from this passage of scripture that he is doing a new thing and he wishes that you forget the former things and focus on the new thing he is doing now. When you keep focusing on the past, 
you will lose sight of the newness before you. If only you can shift your gaze in the spirit and shut your ears to the voices in the world, you will be able to perceive the new thing he is about to do. The prodigal son had a new beginning. Rahab the harlot had a golden new beginning. Though Rahab came from a place of deep brokenness, God rewrote her story and her lineage that has been known for prostitution, got a new identity. Her name was included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Only in Christ can such a thing be possible. Dearly beloved, your past has no part in what God has in store for you. Only play your path by coming to Him. Believe in Him and you will see the manifestation. You may be that prodigal son that has strayed far from home and endured whatsoever the world pushes your way. You may have been dining with pigs whereas you have your throne and palace. God is calling you to the place of repentance. He is beckoning you to come to your rightful throne as an heir of the kingdom. Why waste away in the web of pride and unrepentance? A banquet has been arranged for your rejoicing. All God wants is for you to see him as a father once more and not a consuming fire. In today's world, everything seems to be gradually fading away. People and circumstances keep changing, sometimes from bad to good and some other times vice versa. We're in such days where those who refuse to trust God are rejecting divine intervention and help. For you who know God, I implore you to keep having faith in the Lord your God. I know the world is getting darker every day and the road is getting rougher. You're tempted to try other gods as the polytheists do, but I implore you to be strong in the Lord. These times and seasons will change, but your God remains the unchangeable and undispensable God. He is the God who sits in heaven and rules over the affairs of men. He changes situations, yet he remains unchanging. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He is not like the God Baal, who changes with the heat of situations. He's not like the gods of the Egyptians, who were able to change rods into snakes, but unable to deliver Pharaoh and his horsemen from drowning in the Red Sea. This is one of the things that makes him different from all other gods, his consistency. With God, you can put all your eggs in one basket and have no cause to be troubled within you. I don't know what situation you are in right now that requires faith. Perhaps you've been believing in God for a miracle, but it feels like you're running out of time and something must be done urgently. It looks like you may never get the answers that you seek. But if you can only remain steadfast in your faith, it doesn't matter how many people have written your case off, you will see God changing your situation. Faith, the Bible says, is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. Faith is believing in what your physical eyes can't see. Faith is believing in God even though you may not physically see Him working things out. Faith is a force that makes you ignore the physical obstacles and voices that keep saying, things are not going to be the way you want them to be. It's what makes you want to walk against what you see and rather hold on to what faith says. 
You can lose anything in life, your job, health, or peace. But if you don't lose your faith alongside any of these, then you can get back what you have lost. That's what happened to Job in his days. He lost his children, wealth, and even his health, but he refused to lose his faith in the unchangeable God. While other men around him lost their faith in God and advised him to do the same, he ruggedly held on to his Redeemer. It didn't look like God was with him, but he kept his faith. It didn't look like there could be restoration of the things he had lost, but he kept his faith. His miseries graduated into days. Days became weeks. Weeks changed into months and months rolled up into years. He kept getting older as well, but his faith in God remained unperturbed. However, his story had a happy ending. According to the scriptures, he ended better than he began. The things he lost were restored to him completely and in greater folds. Beloved, there is a dimension of God's restoration power and deliverance that you're not yet to experience. Your faith is all you need to be able to receive his interventions. No matter what the enemy has stolen from you, if your faith is still in place, then I assure you that in God's records, you have lost nothing. James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Your faith is like a channel that connects you to God and ensures that you receive what you're asking for. In my view, I would say that your faith is a currency. It's what you need to get what you want in due time. When the enemy comes roaring at you, I want you to know that he only does that to cause distractions from God's real agenda in your life. He may roar at your wealth, marriage, or health. Do not give heed. He is a confirmed failure. He understands that unpleasant happenings around you can shake your faith in God. Therefore, he tries all he can to get you to focus on them. The moment he can get you to doubt God, he knows you can lose every other thing, including your faith in Jesus Christ and even your salvation. There's a scenario of Jesus and his disciples that I would like to call your attention to. They were done with missions in a certain village and were heading to another city across the sea. While they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. Not long after that, a storm arose, and the disciples who would later become the apostles were greatly terrified. They had faith in Jesus. They believed that he is the Son of God. But amid the storm, their faith shook. It wouldn't be far from the truth to say that their faith was nowhere to be found. The boat was becoming filled with water, and they feared drowning. They woke the master and said, Do you not care if we perish? What a question of unbelief. Maybe you're in a similar situation and you've asked the Lord countless times, do you not care if I perish? Will you still solve this problem or will I take my faith somewhere else? Life keeps throwing so many questions at us and so many times because of a lack of faith, we turn the questions up to God. Little do we know that these questions are symbols of our wavering faith. When Jesus awoke from his sleep, he rebuked the wind. Not only did he rebuke the wind and calm the storm, but he rebuked the disciples for such a display of fear and little faith. They had faith, for that was why they woke the master up in the first place. 
However, their faith was wavering, and that was why they couldn't put up a better or positive attitude. Today, Jesus is saying to you, I know what your concerns are, and I know what troubles you, but to receive from me, your faith must be unshakable. Beloved, if Jesus is in your boat, there'll be no sinking, but only sailing. No one is born with such unwavering and rugged faith. One only learns to build the faith as one trusts more in God. The disciples who were afraid of a raging sea were the same apostles who were scared of no one later on in their lives and ministries. Not even death or persecution could stop them. I don't know the level of your faith right now. It may be small and weak or large and strong. If it's small and weak, it can be strengthened if you believe. God's kingdom is a kingdom of believers. You must believe your way into everything you want to see that is not yet seen. Romans 10:17 says, Consequently, faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. There is a connection between the word of God and the growth of your faith. The word of God nourishes and strengthens your faith in the Lord. The world is filled with your fear-instigating factors. It's full of people and events that will try to speak and work against your faith in God. To have your faith grow unshakably in God, you must dig deep into the Word of God. This is the main reason why the Word of God was written. It was written for your encouragement. It was written for your inspiration, learning, and correction. The Word of God is a record of God's dealings with men in the past generations. Studying the attributes of God and His consistency through the ages is more than just a literary study. It's a physical activity that has so much impact on your faith and spiritual posture in Christ. All of the patriarchs of faith are men who were rooted in the Word of God. They had eaten and digested the Word of God so much that they had no option but to keep believing in the only true God. Today, if you spend a second out of God's Word, the world will do all it can to convince you that there are other possible options outside of God. At first, it may seem like it doesn't affect your faith, but as you continue to stay away from the Word of God, you'll begin to doubt God. Isaiah chapter 45 verses 5 and 6 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. You should keep your faith. The God whom you believe is unique in all dimensions. He is the uncreated creator, the only true God and the ruler of all things. Don't put your faith in your country's economy. It'll change with time. Don't put your faith in your wealth. It can't purchase the life you have. Don't put your faith in your connections and human capacities. They're only temporal. Digging deep into the Word of God is your faith's clinic. You need to come to a point where you say like the three Hebrew boys, I know that he can save, but even if he chooses to not save me, my faith will not be shaken. You need to come to a point where like Job, you'll say, if a man dies, yet will he live again? All through these difficult days, I keep hoping, waiting for the final change, for renewal. This is the kind of faith that overcomes the world, diseases, and trying times. Your victory in this world is tied to the strength of your faith. 
the book of Ephesians talks about the whole armor of God. I don't know where those things mentioned are sold in the world today. That tells you that you wear the whole armor in faith to fight the fiery darts of the enemy. I plead with you to not let circumstances that will change with time make a shipwreck of your faith. When all is said and done, your faith is the most important of all your assets or possessions. In fact, receiving the kingdom of God as an inheritance is an act of faith. Dear children of God, I charge you this day to hold on to your faith tenaciously. Have you ever been hurt? It may have been a long time ago, recently, or even some kind of pain someone is putting you through right now. How do you feel about it? Do you feel like getting back at that person and giving them a dose of their own medicine? Taking revenge? Or do you just want to sit by and cry and not do anything about it? Most of the time, when we are hurt, we want to hurt those people back. We want to stand for ourselves and show them that we are not just anyone that they can mess around with. We want to hit back and make them feel even double the pain that we felt. We may lay back for a while, but only as we wait for the most opportune time to strike back. There's a certain meme going around that if you did me bad and I just kept quiet, just be careful because I'm forgiving you until I buy a gun. This is the most typical behavior of humans. It's only the most natural response to painful things we suffer because of people. Wanting them to feel what we felt, or even worse. However, the Bible takes a totally different approach. Quite opposite to what we would want to do when we have been hurt. Romans 12.21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This verse follows exhortations like, Bless those who persecute you. And do not repay anyone evil for evil. The natural human course is for us to curse those who curse us, strike back those who strike us, and fight those who hit us. When someone wrongs us, our innate response is to want to push and fight back. To be fair, no one who's been wronged is eager to sit back and do nothing. No one who's been hurt looks to withstand a barrage of punishment and abuse because they feel it's wrong not to speak up, stand up, or defend themselves. But here, the Bible is taking us in a different direction. To respond to evil with good. Someone hurts you, and you just sit there and smile back. They torture your loved one, and God expects you to do nothing about it. It sounds so insane. At first glance, it may appear like we are just supposed to sit back and be the victims of evil who cannot stand up for themselves, but that is not what the Bible means. When Paul says that we should overcome evil with good, he is not calling us to a life of complacency of evil. He is not telling us to sit back and relax while evil is being perpetrated all around us. Believers are not to be passive or constantly on the defensive or losing sides of battles. As a matter of fact, they should stand their ground and fight evil. However, of even greater importance than the mere response is the how of the response. Yes, you should respond when you are aggrieved. Stand up for yourself when people are being mean and unfair to you, and confront those who are doing evil. But how do you do so? By overcoming evil with good. When someone treats you badly, you should treat them well. It is the alternative. For the eye for an eye system we want to follow, given by Jesus in Matthew 5 verses 39 to 41. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. 
And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Instead of responding to evil with evil, the Apostle Paul calls us to a higher standard of living by responding to evil with good and ultimately overcoming it. Everyone wants to show how bad they can be, but as a believer, your response to evil should not be a matter of showcasing your strength or abilities to hit back. It should be a manifestation of the Christ who lives in you and who calls you to a spiritual life of doing good even when evil is done to you. As the saying goes, two wrongs don't make a right. Likewise, two evils do not make a good. They only create a greater evil and lead to a cycle of revenge, hatred, and selfless manipulation. As Christians who've been redeemed, transformed, and made new, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and who no longer followed the pattern of the world, Romans 12.2, the best way to respond to evil is to overcome it with good. This is a response that proves that Christ is in our lives and the working of the Holy Spirit is in us. The Bible challenges us to overcome our natural desires and inclinations and to do good even when we don't want to. God wants us to elevate our lifestyles to a point where we do not give in to the demands of our bodies, but instead give glory to his name by doing what he wants us to do. When someone treats you badly, insults, backbites, or beats you up, they are perpetrating evil against you, but haven't won yet. It's your response to such people and circumstances that determines whether evil or good has won. When you respond to that by smiling at them, and even managing a steady and assertive I love you, you are overcoming their evil with good. It is that response that sets you apart from them. It distinguishes you from the people of the world as a child of God, a follower of Christ who has refused to yield to the patterns of this world and who instead has chosen the righteous but narrow path to eternal life. Responding to evil with good shows that despite the world's praising evil, you are firm on your ground. Retaliation brings us down to the level of our instigators. And when we return a soft word, kindness or generosity to someone who has wronged us. We leave the perpetrator alone in their evil. Proverbs 25 verses 21 to 22 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. The burning coals are the embarrassment and shame that comes with a person responding with forgiveness and a loving kindness to hurtful actions done against them. There is nothing that confuses perpetrators of evil as a kind gesture. Jesus is a perfect example of overcoming evil with good. When his oppressors hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 1 Peter 2 verses 23. In submitting himself to the evil of his captors, he conquered sin, Satan, and death. Ephesians 4 verses 8 to 10. Evil thought it won that day when it nailed Christ to the cross. But because Jesus fully surrendered to the will and plan of his Father, the Son of God overcame their evil with good. Though the actions against Christ in themselves were evil, Jesus' death and later resurrection overcame that evil by purchasing forgiveness and eternal life for everyone who would believe. John 1 verse 12, 3 16 to 18, and 20 verse 31. 
Joseph was sold by his own brothers and faced severe trials because of that. However, God elevated Joseph and made him ruler of Egypt. Years later, when Joseph met his brothers, he did not avenge them, but accepted them with great love. Truly, Joseph overcame evil with good by forgiving his brothers. In that same manner, we can overcome evil with good because we know that in the end, good will overcome bad. We are children of the light, and hence we are called to shed this light where there is darkness, and the light will cast out the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1 verse 5 We are not called to wither or to be overcome by evil, no matter how powerful or persuasive it is. Rather, the message of the gospel and promise to Christ's followers is that in Christ we are no longer victims, but victorious, active agents of light in the world. Because of Christ, we are no longer on the defensive. We now have the power and the authority to go on the offensive and push evil back by doing good. In this way, the truth of the gospel and the authority of Jesus Christ chases away all darkness. Living in a broken and sinful world inhabited by evil and broken people, responding to evil and hurt in a good way may be hard. However, by the power of God, we can do it. God calls us at all times to be guided by the spirit and faith and not the flesh, for the desires of the flesh might be opposing those of the spirit. That's why the Bible puts it clearly that we do not wage physical wars, but that we fight in spiritual realms since that is the origin of all evil. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying arguments and all arrogance raised against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5 We can overcome evil with good at all times by remembering that God is always just. The following are fundamental truths from the scripture that can help us deal with evil people in a way that pleases God. I should not take revenge, but should leave it to God, for vengeance is his. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12 verses 19 I am not the judge, God is. He will do what is right. Genesis 18 verse 25 As a believer, my response to evil should not copy the world's behavior, but reflect Christ who is in me. Romans 12 verses 1 to 2 Keeping my eyes on Jesus helps me know how to respond when I am treated poorly. Hebrews 12 verse 2 God is always watching and evaluating my choices and he wants to reward me for obeying him. Matthew 5 verses 43 to 48. We may not be able to stop people from doing evil, but we can overcome their evil with good. We may not be able to force them to do good, but they can't force us to participate in the bad with them either. At all times, we can refuse to be overcome by evil and instead overcome it.